You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A reading from the Gospel of John. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, after John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated uh, just by way of reminder. Uh, first, uh, this coming Saturday, the 21st at 9 a.m., it's $10 per person. We're having our men's and women's ministry together. Um, we do not have child care. It's something we're going to be working on. And so work, work on getting babysitters if you possibly can. You know, find a way to be here if you possibly can. If you have to split with somebody and one person comes and one person stays home, um, we will have the recording for you if you can't be here. But please try to make every effort. Jacqueline and I are going to be talking about something that's really stabilized uh, our marriage and our relationship with each other and with the Lord. And that is the ability to locate yourself and know what the weather is like in your life when anything is about to happen. When you have any decision to make, whether it's friends who call you to go out on a Friday or whether it's a big decision like, should I take a new job? We have to know what the weather is like in our life. We have to locate the truth about what's happening in our life because that will have everything to do with how our body reacts to the decisions we have to make. And so many of us, because of positive things like let's just have faith, let's just have trust, we forget that faith and trust means knowing God and knowing yourself before you make a decision. And we're either not making decisions when we should be or we're making decisions way too rapidly and out of impulse. And so we want to try to gather this and say, what does it mean when God says, Adam and Eve, where are you? What does that mean when he continues to say that to us? Where are you? How are you? What is going on with you? And so we want to talk about that. So please try and be here. I apologize for not having the sign up. Um, somebody accidentally filed it away because we're super organized and we accidentally fi- we're so good at filing now that we filed away the actual important sign up document. So it's out there. You can sign up online. You can scan the QR codes now because we're dope and we do things like that. So tons of ways to sign up. Please do that. And also the final Sunday of this month, uh, the 29th, is First Fruit Sunday, where we give in our first fruit offering. And there isn't child care that day, intentionally, because we want our children to be part of what we offer to the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're not at work. You're at church. Amen. You can say it here without getting ridiculed, okay? We want our children to be part of that with us. If your children get an allowance, if your children have toys, like here's the thing about the first fruit offering. It's a difficult offering to give in, and it's one of the only one, maybe two, possibly three offerings we take in an entire year. Your first hour's pay, your first day, your first month, whatever the Lord impresses on your heart to do. It's difficult. It flexes the trust muscle, which is a muscle that we need flex these days. But we also, as Steve said, we also need to teach our children the habit of giving. 
So we're going to have a bin here on Sunday. If they have a toy, if they have toys that they really like, listen, don't put Raggedy Ann into the bin, okay? Something that has been on the ground for 48 months. Don't do that. If there's a toy they enjoy, teach them about what it means to give something that means something to you. Bring them to the altar when we pray. The 29th is going to be a lot of worship in here. Not a lot of me talking, and everybody said. Why? It was a test, and you failed. This side of the room got like a C minus. You were pretty quiet, but you're always pretty quiet over here. Failed. Des, your amen was a lot. Amen. Like, she likes to worship. We know this, and that is true, and that is good. And that's what we're going to do because giving and worshiping are the exact same thing. Right? When Abraham was going to bring Isaac up the mountain, he said, me and the boy are going to go worship. And that's exactly what they were going to do. And so we want everybody to participate in this. We want to, we as a church make ourselves, when this offering comes in, we set aside a chunk of that and we wait to see anything that the area around us needs and we immediately are the first ones to the table. And so this is something that's important. It's something that is traditional here. And so set aside some sort of fruit, first fruit offering for the final Sunday and bring your children. Let's fill the place with our families. Amen? If you're watching from home and you're not here because you had yourself a fun night last night, don't do that. For starters, we're going to talk about this today. The choir is here. I'm going to preach to the choir. I'm also going to preach to not the choir today. It's a pastor congregation kind of day here. So we will see you on Saturday at the Men and Women. We look forward to First Fruit Sunday in a couple of weeks. We are in a series that we began called Putting in the Work. And last week, we talked about how King Herod wanted other people to read the Bible for him. King Herod wanted other people to go find Jesus for him, and he wanted other people to put in the work, and he could just reap the benefits of it. And there are so many times where we know where we need to be, and we know what it's going to take to get there, and we just wish we could press a button and be there. But we have to put in the work. We have to actually work on ourselves this year. This year, we need to truly work on our own self, not the other self that we may live with, not the little selves that may be running around all over the place, but we need to work on our own self this year and really ask, where can I grow? Where am I being indulgent? Where am I being controlling? Well, pastor, I don't think I am. You are. Just say it for you. You are. We all are. And this is the year where God wants us to go back to the basics and offer our heart to him again and say, where do I need to grow? Where has the slinky kind of snapped back from where it once was? And where do I need to grow? Where can I be more generous? Where can I be more patient? Where do I need to pick up new spiritual disciplines and maybe let go of some vices that I've been drinking too much, I mean thinking about too much of? Ask yourself this question. Salem, listen, I love you and that's why we're going to preach this message today, okay? Ask yourself, what in your life is keeping you from feeling the truth about who you are? It could be your busyness. It could be the way you eat. It could be the way you gossip or complain. It could be, see, drinking, and you know me, drinking is not wrong, but the misuse of alcohol can be devastating, especially, you're ready, the slight misuse of alcohol. The slight misuse of it. I'm not one of those pastors when people say, what kind of church do you pastor? I don't say, I pastor a church where we don't drink, don't smoke, and don't listen to rock and roll. I don't do that. But on the other hand, I'm sensing deep within myself that there are vices that we have let way too into our life over the last two and a half years. Way out of bounds. Way out of bounds. Phone usage, food usage, drink usage. The reasons why we're busy 
the dopamine hit that accomplishing can give us sometimes keeps us from accomplishing in the right areas and we accomplish in the wrong ones. So we need to put in the work this year, slowly, at a good pace, not on an aggressive march forward, but I like what God says to Abraham, every place where the sole of your foot treads will be promised land to you. Just step by step, baby steps. Baby steps turn into toddler steps, turn into teenage steps, turn into adult steps, right? So start, but move, move forward this year. When we got into the season of epiphany that we're in right now for a few more weeks, it really stood out to me this year as the most important season for us as a church. Epiphany stood out to me because we tend to get stuck in our first thoughts when we're stressed. When we're stressed, either out of impulsive anger or out of a desire to not be stressed, we think of a thought, we get an idea in our head, and we stick to it and hold on to it no matter what. And we stay there, whether it's an opinion or a goal or a thought or just a way that we even maybe motivate ourselves. And when anything comes to try to get us to pivot from that first thought, we attack it because it gave us a little bit of stability. But remember what we said, remember what the Holy Spirit said earlier this morning. It is not solid ground we're looking for, it's holy ground that we're looking for. We're not looking to find something that is measurable, we're looking to find something that is hopeful. We're not looking to find something that is stable, we're looking to find something that is holy. We have to remember that we're Christians who believe that the universe is upheld by a being we cannot see. That's what we call supernatural. And that still matters in so many ways, and it's something we have to lean back into again. That the Holy Spirit needs to tell us things about ourselves because these days we are quick to assess, quick to diagnose, assign ourselves a prescription, and then move on, not realizing we were nowhere near the problem. And we're going to face it again. But you ready? By the grace of God, we're going to face it again because it still needs to be healed. I, this morning, had such a vivid memory of being, feeling very stuck in my life. I was driving every day from Fishgill to Katona. Does anybody drive on Route 684? Can we just collectively rebuke? Route 684, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I remember I would leave. I was in a place in life that I didn't want to be. I was driving to a job I did not want to have. And the journey from where I didn't want to be to the job I didn't want to have involved a ton of traffic there and back. And I would always lust after the other side of the highway. Look at them moving. And then it would get bad, like I would be driving, and on the other side, there would be a really big traffic jam, and then when, we, when I drove past the traffic jam, I'd laugh at the cars who didn't know the traffic jam was coming. Look at you guys going 65, you won't be, right? You get real grumpy when you're stuck, hands on the steering wheel, angry. You start to think about people who maybe are standing in your way, like why your life isn't where you want it to be, and you're stuck in traffic, and your boss can be domineering, and the work doesn't even feel fulfilling to you. I was stuck, and I remember saying to myself over and over and over again, if I had the job I was called to, I would never feel stuck again. <laughs> oh, man. Younger Bill. Naive fella. Being stuck has nothing to do with being where you want to be or where you don't want to be. Being stuck has everything to do with your posture toward the Lord. It has everything to do with your posture toward the Lord. And I just, from that testimony, just wanted to say that at that time in my life, I just needed Jesus. Not to, I just needed Jesus in the car with me. 
in the traffic jam with me. Stuck. Driving home on the Taconic. One person hits a guardrail and we all can't get home for three and a half weeks. Epiphany is when God, listen very carefully to this, epiphany is when God sends a revelation into something you interact with on a daily basis and shows it to you new again. We all need this so bad. We're all looking to other things to fix stuff. But epiphany is when God shows himself to you where you are and reveals something new inside of something old. John the Baptist knows Jesus his whole life. And one day, Jesus walks by, and he looks at him, and you can imagine the tingles that went from his head to his feet when he says, Oh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I've looked in that face since we were babies. We grew up together. Our parents know each other. We had cookouts together. And now he's looking at something or someone he has seen his whole life and he's like, the Lamb of God that takes away the answer to every sacrifice the healing that I need. Behold the Lamb of God. Like, we need a moment where you get in your car tomorrow morning and you feel stuck and God gives you a behold the Lamb of God moment and something you're tired of seeing. <laughs> Maybe you need to roll over and look at that other person and God needs to give you a behold the Lamb of God moment. We have to enter the day. Krista said this in the Holy Spirit Last week, or the week before, she said that, he, she said, I'm in the broken dishes, and I'm in the toddler crying. We look for God in places that we expect God categories to be. He is in the next thing that you're going to do, whether you're stuck or not, and he's there to get you unstuck without everything having to change. We don't want that. Just so you know, I'm, I, I know that you don't like to hear what I'm saying because I don't like to hear what I'm saying, for the record. We, God doesn't want, you got all these preachers, man. Go onto Instagram and just scroll through 30 seconds. Whenever you clip somebody's sermon for 30 seconds, just keep scrolling. Because you got everybody telling you God's bringing you to a new place, a new level, a new destination, a new, a new, a new, a new. There's a group of people in Acts that exhausted themselves and always trying to find something new. But Jesus said the scribe of the kingdom is somebody who knows how to take out of his treasure chest that which is old and that which is new. Because God wants to dust some things off this year and show you something old new again. We are trying to move when God is trying to have things grow. Amen. Yes. Say it. Preach it. It's true. But there's a part of us that is rebelling against this word already. There's something in me that's saying, don't say it. Because we want to think that we can have that triumphalistic view where we just keep getting something new and keep going higher. God doesn't just want us to go higher. He wants us to go lower. You got preachers talking about God is going to shed people off of you. People can't handle where you're going. But you know what? Somebody's got to go to those people who are shed off somebody else. It can get nonsensical very fast, Salem. It's not about, all, and listen, all of those things are rooted in comparison. He's taking you higher, which is a comparison to where I am. He's shedding people off of you because they can't go where you're going, which is a comparison between me and them. He's taking you to a new level, which is a comparison between me and the level I was at. Don't be so foolish as to compare yourselves one to another. Let's call foolishness what's foolish. 
He doesn't want you comparing your life before to your life now. He wants you seeing what's been growing all along and what can still grow and the potential you have to be fruitful. Listen to me as much as you don't want to hear this, to be fruitful exactly where you are today. Today, right now. I'm going to be tested with this at 440 this afternoon. Am I content with where my football team is right now? No, I'm not. Will I be cranky if they don't ascend to another level of the playoffs? Yes, because he's not done with me yet. I get to show you how to be holy, and probably today, I will show you exactly how to not be holy. Just glad I'm not a Chargers fan this morning. And if you didn't read the headline, they lost Second largest collapse in NFL history. Hmm. I just realized my sweater is the same color as the carpet. I have such ADD, it's not even funny. Back, I'm back. Epiphany is being able to leave a situation to be able to walk into something. And then when you're there, pivot. We talked about this, to pivot. But on the basketball court, in order for one leg to pivot, the other leg has to be anchored so you can pivot with the ball, right? See my skills? Look at this, right? <laughs> you have to have one part of you has to be anchored so another part of you can pivot. If none of you is anchored, it's not pivoting. It's being driven and tossed by every wind and wave that comes into your life. If both feet are anchored, it's called being stubborn. But part of you has to be anchored so that part of you can pivot. Again, if everything is pivoting, you're driven and tossed. You have no control over your life. If none of you is pivoting, it's rebellion. It's stubbornness. Stiff-neckedness. But when part of us can be rooted and anchored in the right things, in Jesus Christ... The rest of us can pivot and move and make adjustments as we go. I brought up the Jaguars last night because this quarterback threw four. He's one of the first. He's the first quarterback in NFL history to throw four interceptions in the first half and then throw four touchdown passes in the second half. They made adjustments. They didn't get down on themselves. They didn't say it's over. They didn't say, you know what, let's just do this other half. Let's not get anybody hurt. They won because they made adjustments. They pivoted in dire circumstances with the clock running out. And many of us feel like the clock is running out on our life. The clock is running out on our parenting. The clock is running out on our goals. And we're so far behind, just tiny little adjustment, and you could win. Tiny little adjustment, and you could win. But something has to be anchored. Listen, in the post-COVID world we live in, we have lost are appropriate anchors, because here's why. This is a statement that can be reductionistic, but I'm using it to explain a lot of things that I don't have time to explain. Our homes became hubs. Our home became a hub. How, what do I mean? We used to have a place called home that we could anchor into, and we would go to work, and we would come back home. And we would go to church, and we would come back home. And we would go to our friends' houses, and we would come back home. All of a sudden, for two years, home became where we went to work. It became where we hung out with our friends, and it became where we worshipped. And it still is where some people are who could be here are worshipping. Okay? And so we, we either lost the sense of anchor, or we anchored into home so much that we're having trouble leaving it. And we need to make home healthy again. Amen? I want to read this Isaiah text to you real fast. It says this. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. This is about Jesus. This is about Israel. And this is about the church. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. 
Come on. Some of us need to say that truth. I've done what you've told me to do. I'm trying to do what you've told me to do. I'm working my hardest to do what you told me to do, and it feels like it's in vain, and it feels like it's for nothing. You're calling me back from the coast because I'm so far away trying to do the best I can. I don't know where home is anymore. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob, church, Jesus, back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. Listen, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. For he says, is it too light a thing that you should just be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring them to be preserved in Israel? I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. We will stop right there. What does all this have to do with being anchored? He's calling out to the coastlands, and he's bringing this person home. He's bringing Jacob home. He's bringing Israel home. He's bringing Jesus home, and he's saying, I know you're laboring so hard, but you're losing your anchor, so I'm bringing you back here to remind you of who you are. You're my child. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by me. Just before Jesus went out to the wilderness, God anchored him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Just before Jesus went to the cross on the Mount of Transfiguration, God said the same thing to him again. Before Jesus went to the wilderness, before Jesus went to the cross, God anchored him and said, I'm your dad. Never forget that. You're going to be tempted to forget your anchor. So the first point, calling anchors are pain. Calling anchors are pain. I have so many things I want to say about this, but I'm going to choose something simple. If you don't know what you're called to, your pain will feel meaningless. And when pain that you're going through, when things you're going through because of what's happening in your life feel meaningless, there might not be any greater stress than that. So you have to know what your calling is so that your pain, you ready, can have a mission behind it. But when I said calling just now, I know all of you are thinking, well, pastor, you know what your calling is. Because when we hear calling, we just think spiritual office type stuff. But I want to, I don't want to shatter that. That is something to be talked about at another time. But I want you to know this. This is going to be the simplest thing I say all year. Your calling is the next thing that you're going to do in your life. And stop trying to find something else. Are you a mom? That's your calling. Are you a dad? That's your calling. Are you a friend? That's your calling. Are you an employee at a job you hate? Then your calling is to be at a job you hate and show the love of Jesus there. Whatever it is you do next, that is what you are called to. Own it. Own it now. There are so many people. I don't want to be defined by being a mom. I don't want to be defined by, I, don't, I need to do more. My, I'm, 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 I'm too much gold for this cheap place. Like, what? Stop. Stop it. I got to fly. No, you got to stand. Stand. Whatever you do next, that whatever you're in right now, when you can own that, if it's bringing pain to your life and you say, you know what? This is where I am. This is what's happening. This is what I do. The next time that causes pain in your life, there will be mission behind it. But to whatever extent we reject what we're doing in life, we reject the mission that is supposed to anchor the pain. Everything you do, everything we do, I've learned this now, I can say it with authority, your dream job will cause you pain. Please understand, these messages aren't cheap. They're expensive. We go through a lot to put this out. We do. This is why Paul, I used to think it was arrogant that Paul said, can you please pray for me all the time? Now I realize, no, no, no. Please pray for me all of the time. I know that what you do that no one else sees you do is costly to you. I know when you walk in here, something expensive just walked in here. Not because you're worth more than other people, but because it took a lot to get here. 
It took a lot to get here. It takes a lot to put your hands together. It takes a lot to be happy. It take, people talk about, don't fake it. Man, it takes a lot to fake it sometimes, honest to God. Yes, yes, my man. Rob, Rob is such a good dad. I mean, Rob, look at me. Except for the Yankee hat. Except for the Yankee hat. What's not wrong with it is the question that we should ask. Calling anchors our pain. See, I'm called to be a fan of the New York football giants, and that's going to cause me pain today. They're going to get blown out. They are. They're going to get blown out. Hear my words right now. They're going to get blown out. And I am already saying, Lord, teach me how to lose. Yeah. Now listen to this, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanct... Now listen to this. To the church of God that is in... To the church of God that is in Corinth, a specific place, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in, say it, every place... Call on the name of the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was being confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. He starts with the church that is in Corinth. And then he says, to those in Corinth and to those who are being sanctified, and to all of those around the world. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you see that it starts with a specific place? Calling anchors our pain. But listen to this. Membership anchors our calling. Here he goes. Calling anchors our pain, but membership Signing that you are part of a local church. This non-legal, non-binding document that we've come up with seems to be the thing that trips more people up than anything I've ever seen in my adult life. And I've been an adult, I've been an adult for two years. <laughs> two full years. This many years. Think of what we're willing to put our name on and then think, like, I've had people email me and they, well, somebody emailed me once and rewrote the membership mission. Rewrote it. I'll sign it if it says this. Listen, man, I'd sign anything if I got to write it. I said, did you write your wedding vows? Probably not. Did you repeat after somebody else? Probably there's things that we don't necessarily get to have on our terms that show our faithfulness and integrity. I went to the 84 Diner. I got myself a Philly cheesesteak. I used my credit card to pay for it. Yes, Peter, delicious, in the name of Jesus. I signed my name on the credit card slip. How is it possible that I might be able to sign my name to a Philly cheesesteak but not to a local church? Please explain. I didn't just walk into the bank and get hundreds of thousands of dollars. I signed so many things to live in the house I'm in now, to live in the three apartments we rented prior to this, to drive the cars that we drive. My name is everywhere, signed on everything. If you don't anchor yourself to a local church, you are going to be driven and tossed by so many different Christian ideas, it'll make you dizzy. Not just evil ones. We need to be anchored to a place so that we can go places and come back home. You want your home to be stable, you gotta go there. You want your job to be stable, you gotta go there. 
you want your spiritual life to be stable, Salem, you got to come here, and you got to come here more than two Sundays a month. I'm going to continue on the soapbox for a minute. <laughs> Back in the day, I've heard it said, you know who a person is. You know how they value Jesus by looking at their checkbook. This is true. Amen. Amen, Pastor. Yeah, amen. It's true. It's true. And then, you know you can judge a person's value on Jesus when you look at their checkbook and also their calendar, which is true. I have a new one. I want this one to be mine, the one that I came up with. When somebody's preaching here in 30 years, <laughs> God, it's a long time. When somebody's preaching here in 30 years, I want them to say mine and then have one of theirs. Here's a new one. You know how much you value Jesus when you see what you're willing to risk virus for and what you're not. Is it a risk to be here right now? Yes. It's also a risk to be at any restaurant at any time when there's other people there. And when people say, well, at this restaurant, I get to sit in my own booth, even though there's a booth right here, it's just that you don't know how air works. <laughs> if you could go on a cruise, you could be here on Sunday. If you could go on a train, you could be here on Sunday. If you could go to a restaurant, you can be here on Sunday. If you can go to your family's house on a Saturday night and get all lit up, you could come here on Sunday also. I'm just telling you the truth. You can get here if you want to be here. When there's a person who legitimately doesn't go those other places to protect themselves, I'm with you. But when you're going to Lakanda and then you're not coming here, I have a problem. When you're going to Stefano's with those big goblets of red wine so that you don't have to feel your thoughts, but then you don't come here and have bread with me, I have a problem. I didn't say this for years because it wasn't the time to. I had leaders saying, you got to call people back to the building, and I was saying not yet. Now I'm saying yes. It's time to start risking a little bit for Jesus. We risk so much for so many other things. Odds are the meal you had at Stefano's was more of a risk to your heart than the air you're breathing here would be with the Holy Spirit in it. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm telling the truth. It's the truth. I'm not mad if this room is not full. If the true people that God has called here are few, I'm happy. I, I don't want the room to be full. I don't want to have to go to two or three or four or five services. I'm not trying to be Stephen Fyrdick, okay? Here's what I want. I want every person who's called here to be here. That's what I want. That's what any good pastor should want, is for the people who are called here to get here. I'm not saying don't go on vacation. I'm not saying don't miss. But really start to ask yourself. Really start to ask yourself, in the last two years, has the going away gotten a bit much? Has the concessions on Saturday? Have you, remember, remember back in the day we used to say, live your Saturday in a way that gets you to Sunday healthy. We don't do this anymore. We don't do this anymore. You want to know why? Because last night I did that. I watched the game. I went to bed at halftime. I was like, Lord, I'm putting you first. I'm going to bed at halftime. And I missed the third greatest comeback in the history. I woke up and I was like, no, no. The first, no. Yeah, man, we, gotta, we have to start saying, listen, if I said you go to ShopRite but you don't come here, you go to work but you don't come here, that person would probably say, well, I need to be at those places. Do the math at what was just said. I need to be at those places, but I don't need to be. You do. Here's why. Because I need you here. Steve needs you here. Aldo needs you here. Desiree needs you here. Carrie needs you here. You don't come to church primarily because you need to go. You come to church primarily because somebody else needs to see your beautiful face worshiping Jesus here.
we have to help each other do this. Why? Because it's, I'm not pretending that it's not easy. It isn't easy. But we have to help each other do this. When we go to heaven, we're not going to have a Zoom meeting with Jesus. <laughs> calling anchors your pain, but membership anchors your calling. It's the, the membership mission, it's not even, we don't even use covenant terminology anymore because that can get ridiculous. It's a membership mission. It's out on the information center. If you're a member here, your deacons have already emailed you because I told them to. And if they didn't, please come tell me because I have a deacon meeting this Thursday with them. If you have never been a member here, there's a membership form out there. And here's the thing. Do I believe in this? Of course I do. Because baptism makes you a member of the body of Christ. And so connect yourself. You don't have to be here for you don't have to be here for more than 10 minutes. This document is saying, when you sign it, what you're saying is, as long as the Holy Spirit tells me to be here, I'm a part of this family. That's it. We do it everywhere else without even praying. I'm gonna move on now. I have the whole year. Thank you for indulging that. Final one. The gospel text. And I'll say this quick because I see what time it is. John the Baptist has worked his tail off. My man's eating locusts and wild honey. And I had a good laugh about this, Jacqueline, because we're doing the Mediterranean diet. I have lost a few pounds already. I feel good. I feel good. I feel like I have more energy. It feels nice. But you're not allowed to have, like, white sugar for a while when you start it. And I'm like, even John the Baptist got to have honey. Like, well, you, know, you know you're hungry when you're reading the Bible and you're jealous about what John the Baptist got to eat. Locusts dipped in honey? At least there was honey. I'm over there trying to make a cup of tea and I grab the honey and she's like, hey. I'm like, where'd you come from? Yeah. Right there. Anyway. He, his disciples are with him. He has lived in the wilderness his whole life on sand. And he has developed a following. And Jesus walks by, and John says the right thing about Jesus, and his disciples get up and leave him. And somebody says, are you upset that they're leaving you? And he says, no, 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 I have to decrease so he can increase. Here's the thing. So many of us, when we do the right thing and we lose something, we think something went wrong. But calling anchors our pain, and membership anchors our calling, and Christ anchors our membership. John the Baptist knew his calling. His calling was the one who prepares the way of the Lord, and he knew where his membership was supposed to be. It was in the wilderness. He knew his calling, and he knew his place. So when people left him, when he suffered decrease, he knew it was because he did the right thing. But you can only look at decrease, you can only look at when things go wrong, and have some sort of hope grow up in it, if you're anchored to calling and you're anchored to place. Listen, if you had the worst year of your life last year, you need to be anchored to a community of people more then than ever. And when you're going through your worst, it's the hardest to be anchored to people. Especially church people. We're annoying. The minute you say, hey, I'm just going through a lot, you're bombarded with answers. I just want ears. I don't want mouths. I just want ears. Just hear me. God gave you two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you speak. Right, Frank? Yes? <laughs> Dusted off an oldie but a goodie there from my big brother. I wonder if you said that to me originally. It didn't work. <laughs> ah, yes. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to jump into a group of people, especially people that you know, especially people that know you, when your heart is broken, when things are getting less, not more. That's where you need to be. John knew his calling. John knew his place. 
he was so honest, he was so free that even in prison he could say, Jesus, he could say to his disciples, can you guys just go, I just need to hear one more good word for him, from him. Ask him if he's the one. Are you serious? You want us to ask him if he's, please, I just want to hear you come back and whatever he says is going to be music to my ears in prison. Sometimes you just need to hear that Jesus is the one. I'm in financial ruin, pastor. So much is going on. First, let me just tell you, Jesus is still who he was. And he still is who he will be. And he's going to take you every bit of the way through this. All of that to say, and we can stand to our feet and the worship team can come up. At the end of the story, Jesus says to Simon, your name is no longer Simon, but it's Cephas, which means Peter, which means the rock. When you anchor yourself, God turns you into an anchor for other people. Now listen to me. God wants you to anchor other people, not to imprison them, and not to let them do whatever they want. Anchor them. We are tempted to go to extremes. That's why, God, that's why Isaiah calls people back from the coastlands. Come back from the extremes, Salem. Your job is not to let people around you do whatever they want. Your job is also not to put them in prison. It's to anchor them. Hold them for a moment. Hold them long enough for them to have a chance to hear. Jesus is still the one. The blind see the deaf hear, the lame walk. Broken hearts will be healed. Systems will change. Well, pastor, not in our lifetime. No. But they will change. Our hope is built on nothing less than that promise. Our anchor is hope. If you're looking for something you can measure to stabilize you, you will be dizzy for the rest of your life. Because anything that you can measure is not stable enough to stabilize you. Hope is our anchor. And when you can't have it, Salem, when somebody in this room can't have it, then I want somebody who has it to give it out in spades. If you're walking in a season where you feel strong, where you feel stable, where you feel right, be generous with that energy. Be generous with that positivity. Be generous with that hope. It's not just for you. It's not the product of what you did right. God gave you something for somebody else. Don't hoard it. Don't keep it. Open up your front door and let somebody in. Man, if you can't find it, Find somebody who has it and just ask them to put their hand on your back and pray for you. And when you pray for somebody, don't pray all the things you think they need to hear. Lord Jesus, let Jen know that you are enough for whatever the next thing is that she needs. There will be oil in the jar for the next thing. Now I know how messed up she is. I could have just prayed it all right now. You've heard people do it. These days, people just need to hear a simple, encouraging word right now. Don't go deep. We just need, to, we just need the room to stop spinning. We'll get deep again. We'll talk about Ezekiel and his wheel within a wheel. We'll talk about that stuff again. But right now, we just need the room to stop spinning. We need to catch our breath. We need to reestablish our priorities. We need to set the pillars in place with our time and our talent and our treasure. It's not going back to legalism. It's just setting things right so that we can grow, so that we can receive the fruit of the Spirit, and it's got a trellis to grow on. As you get ready to come to the table as I pray our prayers, just examine your own life right now. Close your eyes and examine your own life. And when you come and receive this seemingly insignificant symbol, 
please realize, when this bread is put into your hand, you are receiving the body and the blood of Jesus. And he is your holy ground. He is the one who can lay his hand on you, say, you don't need to fill every minute up. You can sit with your thoughts. You don't need to keep eating. You can sit with your thoughts. You don't need to have another drink. It's hurting you. I will be there for you as you sit with your thoughts. You don't need to call another person and just keep a conversation going so that you aren't alarmed by yourself alone. You don't need to be the one who's constantly encouraging everybody else as a way of masking your own pain. Salem, do you know how fast I could hide behind preaching? Anything can become an idol. Anything. Especially good things, especially tasty things like gossip and wine. When you receive this bread, you are receiving healing for your soul this morning. This is bread for the journey. This is manna. This is everything the Bible was trying to get to in Genesis that we finally have now. When you come to this table, you are seated in the presence of your enemies, and he is anointing your head with oil. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would all be brought to the moment where, on the night when he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he held it up, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat this meal, as often as you drink this cup, drink it to remember me and I promise you church as you remember me your soul your body will heal slowly but it will heal as you receive this bread it will heal you'll get you'll you'll have enough energy for the next step holy spirit i pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of jesus the food and drink of new and unending life in him, and I pray that you descend on us. I pray that we would offer you one idol and receive this bread in its place. Pray that each person, as they put their hand out to receive the bread, would drop an idol on the floor and receive this bread in its place. Idols have no mouths. They cannot speak. But your bread is the living word. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. I'm going to ask if Elder George would come over here, and I'm going to ask if Elder Ron would come over here. You can come to the front and receive as the worship team ministers this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.